Hi, everyone. I'm Elizabeth Stein, founder and CEO of Purely Elizabeth. And this is Live Purely with Elizabeth, featuring candid conversations about how to thrive on your wellness journey. This week's guest is Sabina Lada, founder and CEO of Doe, an enhanced cookie dough brand that you've probably seen one of your favorite influencers eating all over Instagram and TikTok. Her delicious cookie doughs like birthday cake and brownie butter are enhanced with functional ingredients like ashwagandha for stress relief, zinc and elderberry for immunity, and aloe vera and vitamin C for collagen support. Sabina grew up in a small town in Texas, eating Oreos for breakfast and Kraft mac and cheese for dinner, and ended up working at some of the major junk food companies out of college that really didn't align with what she was doing in her life. Sabina created dough during COVID after wanting a healthy and delicious way to take her vitamins and flip her favorite nostalgic snack. In this episode, we dive into Sabina's journey and how she quickly launched and scaled her brand over the last two years. She shares tips on how to launch a CPG brand on social, how to grow an engaged following and connect with some big influencers. Spoiler alert, just DM them. What do you have to lose? The importance of listening to your consumers and moving quickly without really needing everything to be perfect and how to balance being the CEO of a fast emerging brand. Keep listening to hear some great inspiring tips from Sabina. Sabina, welcome to the podcast. So nice to see you today. So nice to see you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so we first met, I think it was Expo East, which I believe was was your first Expo East. And I have first heard about you from Not Skinny But Not Fat, which... Love her. Out. So <laughs> so excited to dive in because you've had this journey over really just the last couple of years and so much has happened for you. So yeah, it's so fresh, which is going to be so exciting to have this point of view. So let's start at the beginning of your journey and really what inspired you to start Doe. Yeah. All good things start in your childhood or all trauma, I guess, starts in childhood. <laughs> Either which way. <laughs> so I, you know, I grew up in a really small town in Texas called Euless and obviously raised in the 90s when health food or nutrition, especially in that part of the country, wasn't a thing, right? Like people weren't really reading nutrition labels and didn't care about ingredients as much. They kind of thought, as my parents did, they were immigrants, that if it was approved by the FDA, it's fine to eat. And so grew up on really the standard American diet on Kraft mac and cheese for dinner and Oreos for breakfast (laughs) and, um, you know, gas station snacks for my dad's gas station. So at the time, those brands that were creating those things were these like iconic brands that you see on TV and celebrities endorsed. Um, And so that's just how I grew up eating. And I, you know, played sports and didn't have any sign of being unhealthy, I guess, externally. So didn't really know that that was unhealthy. That's just how I ate. And fast forward to my first job out of college and I I worked at PepsiCo at at Frito-Lay, which is a subsidiary of PepsiCo, selling potato chips. Um, What was your role in sales or marketing? I was in marketing. So I was in brand management on the Lay's brand, which, you know, super iconic. It's a $3 billion brand. And I learned so much about marketing. Back then we were still doing big TV ads and Eva Longoria was our spokesperson and we would run these kind of like massive campaigns. So 
you know, really learn, I would say the gold standard of consumer insights, gold standard of marketing, understanding all the traditional channels like print and out of home and TV, which now are a little bit dated. Um, and, you know, everything is much more digital, but I would say learn all of that. I think at the same time, though, realizing that my food journey kind of was misaligned with what I was doing at work was was really interesting. So I had a blog. This is before blogs were cool called Skinny Lately um, in 2012. And it, it was really about my journey on wellness. So I was doing juice cleanses and drinking kale smoothies and doing cryotherapy and trying to get, you know, my friends and family to eat a little bit healthier, make some better decisions and, you know, exercise or move more. And at the same time at work, I was selling junk food, right? To, to put it lightly, I guess. Um, Where were you living at the time? I was still in Texas. So I was in, I was in Plano, Texas. And I would say like a little bit of a misfit, both, both in Texas, I think, and at, at Frito-Lay at PepsiCo. And I didn't necessarily know, know why, but as this kind of transformation was happening, now that I look back on it, it's because there was such a dissonance between what I was selling at work versus how I was actually eating or trying to kind of build new habits from when I grew up. And so that's kind of where I had this aha moment of, you know, I, I like food and beverage. And I think the the industry is really fascinating, but it, I wanted to be on a different side of it. And it's really hard when you're at a bigger company to be able to make those impacts. And you're so junior, right? Like I was right out of college um, to be able to make those impacts and, and kind of make those dents in the, the health and wellness part of it. Yeah. You, you weren't going to change the uh, mission for, for no. <laughs> No, and they, and honestly, like there's a place for that, right? Like totally. they make a ton of money and like they have a ton of consumers that adore them. So like there is, and I I mean, you know, when I'm on a period, I crave a flaming hot Cheeto every now and then. <laughs> like, I'm not going to say that I'm so anti that. So to me, it's more about balance. But yeah, when you're that junior too, you're not going to change a, a $13 billion <laughs> um, company. But, you know, fast forward, then I started working at Diamond Foods where I was able to work on a better for you portfolio, a little bit healthier and try to transform that space. I would say make a little bit more of a dent, but still kind of your hands are tied. Like at the end of the day, per your comment, it's the people up top that are making those decisions and they're making them for a reason. So I was a little disheartened leaving food and beverage CPG. And I kind of thought I would never go back. I was like, no way in hell am I like going back. To and lo and behold, here I am with a food company and, you know, went to did a couple of years in consulting at, at McKinsey where I worked on everything but food and beverage. I was like, I want to work on everything. That's so funny. <laughs> not that. Everything from like luxury cars to medical waste management to media. Like I was working on everything but food and beverage. And then went into venture capital and kind of full circled back to, to CPG specifically. And it just felt right in that sense. I would say like back then I was a misfit at those bigger companies. Because now I realized, because I was so entrepreneurial, yeah. but, and that's why I was a misfit. But when it all came together back in venture capital and I was working in CPG again, but on the startup side of things, I was like, okay, this feels right. Like I, I knew at some point I was going to start my own company. I just didn't know when. And COVID happened to be the accelerator of that, which, you know, a lot of bad things I would say came out of COVID. But one kind of silver lining for me was being able to have the time and space and energy to launch Doe. So you're at the venture firm. And then what were the steps at that point? COVID happens. Where does the idea come into pass? 
So I had left the venture firm already knowing that I would do something on my own. So I was actually- but you just her. said like, I'm going to go for it. I have no idea what I'm going to do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to figure it out. Yeah, I literally had no idea, that, which is crazy because I'm a planner. So I like had no idea. I had already had my next job planned out when I was at a different job three or four months in advance before I left. And, and I would like plan my two week break or my three week break, whatever. And I'd be on to the next job. So me leaving somewhere and not knowing what I was going to do was- scary. It was beyond, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I could fall on my face. I think the safety net that a place like a McKinsey or something like that provides you is really nice because there was always an open door. Like if I do fail and I need to go back to consulting or something like that, like they'll take me back. But it is scary. It's like, you know, you fall on your face and then what? And so I kind of left. I was like, let me figure it out. I had a, you know, a ton of, of savings I'd saved up from early in my career. And was able to use that to live off of. And in COVID, it, this was in May of 2020, I was taking a ton of supplements. So I was taking, every, and you could probably see the supplement aisle during that period of time was completely empty, at least over right. here like at Whole Foods and Air One. Everybody was like, the vitamin C was gone. The elderberry was gone. The zinc was gone. It was probably me hoarding it all. <laughs> I had bought so much of it, but I would take all of those things plus probiotics, plus I would take ashwagandha because I was stressed during that time. So all of these supplements I would take, and there was probably 10 a day that I was taking, I got pill fatigue essentially. So I had a burning throat. My stomach would hurt. I just didn't have a good experience taking these supplements. And it was kind of, it was a little disheartening too, because I ate pretty well. So like I would have a salad for lunch and eat a protein and rice and a vegetable for dinner. So I'm like, why do I still feel the need to load up on these things? And the original concept of dough was actually a real, real food supplement. So it was, if you think like a famous Amos cookie, you know, those little mini classic yeah, yeah. and getting all your vitamins in that cookie so you can actually chew it and eat it and swallow it and absorb it versus having to take a ton of pills. And then it kind of evolved as I started playing around in the category and I looked at the cookie category and was a little nervous about it because I was like, there's so many players, like it's hard to compete and transformed into this almost like fun to eat healthy indulgence of cookie dough and launched an Instagram, no website. I bootstrapped it, had no, didn't raise a dime and launched an Instagram and it, it kind of took off on Instagram. And so that was the, the origin of it and why social media and influencers and Instagram and TikTok are so kind of important to us today still. What was the amount of time that had gone from, hey, I have this idea of turning it into a product mm. to then actually having a name, having packaging, posting on Instagram for the first time. And along with that, did you also put together a business plan? Oh my God, it was so fast. It was wild. Like May, June, I was concepting, May, June of 2020 launched it in October of 2020. <laughs> so I did it really fast. I think being in venture capital helped because it taught we I focused more on CPG, but I learned the tech side of things as well. And the tech side of things is like, move fast, break things, have an MVP, like a minimum viable product. It doesn't have to be perfect, which I think a lot of people that I talk to and a lot of women that I mentor who are starting something, they want this you know, perfect package that they put out into the market and they they want everything to be right. Whereas you waste time almost like testing things if you want it to be that perfect. And so just in my head, I knew, I was like this branding that I'm launching with, this logo that I'm launching with, 
it will evolve. It's not going to look, my packaging's not going to look like that. The, the first packaging ever, I was super embarrassed of. But someone once told me, like, if you're not embarrassed of your first packaging, then you're not doing your right. <laughs> um, so I was super embarrassed of it. Now, obviously, our packaging is much better and, and optimized for retail, I would say. And our fonts are better and our colors are better, all of that. But it was really fast. And it was our first launch was in like these peanut butter jars initially with this ugly, like, circular sticker on top that said dough and tried to pack in all of the different value props that we had, like vegan and gluten-free and all of our ingredients. But seeing the demand off that product, I was like, imagine if we had cool branding, you know, (laughs) imagine once we do get the branding right and the name right and all of that, like what would happen? So it was pretty, I would say like janky put together at the time and we were kind of building the plane while flying it. But It also allowed us to test and ask our consumers what they think and work on packaging, especially during COVID where the supply chain was crazy and you couldn't get a lot of packaging. Um, So yeah, it was, I would say, pretty kind of like moshed together at the beginning. (laughs) I love that. I mean, that was kind of how I started too. And I think it's such, as you said, like it's such a perfect lesson for people that you can become paralyzed. And if you're wanting everything to be perfect, you just never launch. And it's always about timing. So if you're waiting too long, you're going to miss that opportunity. Yeah. And you kind of get, I feel like you have the momentum when you just go, right? Like a body in motion stays in motion. So as soon as you stop and get that inertia, I'm like talking like a physicist right now. I don't, I'm not good at physics. This is like one of my worst subjects. <laughs> but, but like when you stop and you have that inertia, you just don't have like the snowball effect to continue to go. So when you first started out, obviously you started with an account that had zero following, yeah, right? Or you did something in the beginning, but I guess any good tips for people who are starting out and obviously today, like starting on social is so different than it was even probably two years ago. Yeah. Any good tips for like, how did you start to amass the following to even buy the product and give you that insight to begin with? Because really you were starting with nothing. Yeah. So I would say now it, you're right that it's so different than two years ago. My platform of choice would even be different now. Like it, we did it on Instagram. I would go TikTok now. And that is, I mean, you know this, but like that is where discovery happens. And you can go viral in a way on TikTok that just doesn't exist for for Instagram or Facebook anymore because on Instagram and Facebook, you are speaking to your followers. And even then, Instagram right. will throttle you from even getting to all your followers. So you'll have a post with zero engagement. And it's because they didn't push it out to all your followers. And so you're kind of like beholden to running ads and paying to play on Instagram. Whereas TikTok, if you have good content and it's interesting, that algorithm will just feed you to anyone who cares, right? And so I would say even changing the platform if I were to do it again, but on, on Instagram, originally, we started just focusing on content and not on trying to sell anything. And I think creating content in a fun, humorous, cheeky pop culture, even you discovered us through Amanda from Not Skinny But Not Fat, like a pop culture way that people would press that share button because it's a funny meme versus, oh, it's another like cookie post. Like how many times can we post a cookie? Okay. <laughs> so until I guess we expand our portfolio a little more, but that I would say focusing on content on Instagram and then seeding with influencers on Instagram was a big part of us, us getting a following. So even and at we, what point did you start doing that pretty right, early on? Yeah. Yeah. So right from the beginning, it, initially we were, we started with a ton of micro influencers of like 
like, okay, like maybe they'll see our, see our message because they have, you know, 10,000 followers or 20,000 followers. And then there was one day I just kind of woke up and was like, why won't someone with a million followers respond to us? It's a delicious product. It's a healthy indulgence. Like, you know, it hasn't really been done before. Like, let's see if they'll respond. And I, I remember my first response was from Leandra Cohen, who created Man Repeller. And she has over a million followers, responded right away in DM. And she, she's kind of a foodie herself. And so she was like, this sounds delicious. Would love to try it. And we were able to send it to her. And that was the first time I had this aha moment of like, just try it. Like, what are they going to do? Either it's the worst thing. Right? Oh, yeah. Like, what's the worst thing? And so people like her posting really helped us start to amass like the, the following. And then the content, the like witty, fun, meme type, pop culture content, that's what kept people and, and made people not unfollow us. So I would say, you know, take like shooting your shot almost with influencers. Like they are, they are so kind and they know when they see a good product and they want to build those relationships with founders. Like when I would personally, I don't know about you, but when I personally reach out, it's a different reaction than if like an agency would reach out. And so like me even being able to email and sign my name as like Sabina founder and CEO, they like really respect that. And really like influencers are running their own business, right? So like they really enjoy, I think, connecting with the founder. So that's, those are the kind of the tips I have of like, shoot your shot. And then I would say, you know, doing it personally and coming from yourself, it really does mean a lot to them. Yeah, I think coming from you personally and like they, like you said, they're running a business. So they're also always looking for the next new cool thing that they can have content of. So if you have a great product, it's kind of like a no brainer. Yeah, no, exactly. That's how our, with Amanda from Not Scheming Not Fat, we're launching our second drop with her on next Monday, actually. Congratulations. Thank you. So she, how it started is we gifted to her. She was obsessed with the product. She was like, this is delicious. She posted about it organically and posted a promo code. We saw the sales reflect from her post. So then both Amanda and I were like, how do we work together? Like we both are kind of obsessed. And so she was like, is there a way like I can get involved with the brand? Or like, can we do something? And I was like, what if we do a flavor? And that was the, the origination of that. And now, you know, fast forward, like a year and a half later, we're on another drop. We're producing an insane amount of jars this time. And she's involved with the brand in a way that I wouldn't have ima- imagined. So it's funny how like those original interactions just snowball into relationships, right? Totally. Congratulations. That's so exciting. And also you just had your Summer Fridays partnership, which looked and, cool as well. Yeah. And you never on that. Yeah. <laughs> That, so that was interesting too, is because I, Summer Fridays is a much bigger brand than us. Like I, I will say I met Mariana and Lauren at the event that they did at La La Land Cafe a, a couple weeks ago. And they were like, thank you so much for partnering with us. And I was like, thank, thank you. you. I was like, thank <laughs> you. Like, I was like, are you kidding? Like you guys are like the it beauty brand right now. Yeah. Like, I'm obsessed with them. And so how that started is we worked with Mariana. So we did a paid partnership with Mariana and she loved the product. And I was like, crazy idea. What if we launched a beauty cookie dough? And it was packed with aloe vera. So it's good for your skin. Our, a lot of our ingredients are already good for skin, like flaxseed and things like that. And they both, Lauren and, and Mariana were like consumers of the brand at that point because they, they had tried it and loved it. And so they're like, let's do it. And so that was kind of a similar, again, like this, like almost not, I don't want to say like punching above your weight class, but almost like People are willing to partner with you if you have something to offer and if you can do it in a way that is 
beneficial to them. And, you know, we have a, we have a strong influencer network. We have really strong organic content. And, you know, we're able to do these flavors really quickly and turn it around really quickly. And we know how to build buzz too on the PR side. So I think not selling yourself short on, on, and initially, if you had told me a year ago that you'll be partnering with Summer Fridays, I would have been like, oh, funny. (laughs) But yeah, it, it happened. And it's, I think it just starts with that like relationship building, you know? Totally. As you think about and reflect back to your time at more traditional CPG, obviously that was a dated time. But if you can think about like what were really some of those biggest lessons that you learned that you brought into the company today? And also, were there moments so far that you've been like, oh, my God, we had a whole team to do this. Yeah. (laughs) How do I do it myself? Oh my gosh. Yes. I, yes. Literally everything. We had a whole team. I did not realize that back then, but we had a whole team to do a lot of things. And now I'm like, yep, just me or just, you know, camera who does our social media. I think the biggest learning is there, I guess there are two. One is the consumer insights piece of always focusing on what the consumer wants versus what you want or the company wants or what your investors want, because those are often at odds and the consumer will tell you if you just listen to them, if you look at their posts on social media, if you read your NPS surveys, we do a weekly call on our, on our customer experience and our insights. If you read their reviews, they will, they're pretty open with how they feel. And so I think the consumer insights piece and always being tapped into them is really important, which is why Cameron on who does our social media is she's the closest person, right? Or Sarah, who does our customer service, like they're the closest people to our consumer. So I, I just like really enjoy having conversations with them because they tell us things that you might also not want to hear. Um, yeah. So, you know, that was one piece. And then, and there was a giant team. There was like hundreds of people at PepsiCo that were consu- under the Consumer Insights umbrella. And now our Consumer Insights, it's just a little different. It's like Cameron and Sarah. <laughs> and then like they kind of report it back to me. That's one thing. And then two, I would say is one thing that they really teach you at big CPG brands, which I love is, you can have the distribution, you can get on Whole Foods shelf, on Kroger shelves, whatever, but you, that doesn't necessarily mean people will pick up your product. And so for me, how I kind of love with dough is the distribution's great. If we get into Target, if we get into Whole Foods, if we get into Sprouts, like we'd be super happy about that. But my biggest fear and like what keeps me up at night is how do we get people to pick us up? Because yeah. The store can only do so much. And you hear these kind of horror stories of, you know, young CPG brands or young food brands that get the distribution. They are everywhere in the country. Like I think Halotop was an interesting example. They had a a shift in their business model, but um, originally they were worried they were going to get discontinued because they got all this distribution, but nobody was buying it off the shelf. They had a, a viral GQ article that kind of spurred this press and this marketing for them, which ended up helping people, those velocities and helping people take it off the shelf. But that's, that is one thing that PepsiCo and Frito-Lay and Diamond even ingrains in you of you have to have velocities and, you know, not to get technical, but units per store per week is the metric to look at, not distribution points. Like, yes, distribution points are important, but you will be able to get those if you can just make sure you have the units per store per week, the sales per point of distribution, all of those kinds of metrics that actually show that people are picking it up and buying it instead of focusing on like, shoot, I really need to get into Whole Foods. It's like, well, it's a little scary when you get into Whole Foods because you have to make sure you stay on shelf then. <laughs> totally. I mean, it's it's one thing to get on the shelf and it's another to get it off. And yeah. I think for us starting out, it was like, that's focus in one region, one store, you know, one 
territory where we can demo and we get product into their mouths and really go from there because going that all out approach, I think is really tough unless you have a ton of money and a ton of resources to be able to do so. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're bootstrapped. I know a lot of uh, bootstrapped is kind of like a term you don't even hear anymore because <laughs> everyone's fundraised. But um, I will say starting out bootstrapped also the benefit of it is it's your money. So you right. kind of like treat it like that and you every place you put it really matters. So yeah, you do the scrappy things like I was dropping off samples to people in L.A. or I was like hand delivering to Erwan and, and doing the demos there like physically when we first launched there. So those types of things, you got to no task is too small. You got you to do them. You got to do it all. So what's it been like launching in COVID in this like weird time period to be launching business? Obviously, it was so great because you had the idea and people were on social more and so yeah. It captured that audience, but just from a business standpoint, and as you said, you have a couple members of your team. How has that been going through that growth phase? Yeah, so it's been interesting because I would say before COVID, not a lot of people were buying food online. Like maybe you might buy, buy bars on Amazon, but you weren't necessarily, or like maybe energy drinks or something on Amazon, water, but like you weren't necessarily doing all of your shopping online. So that, you know, part of, I guess, the silver lining is that move to digital because people are now just so much more open to buying food online. Whereas I think before- Directly. Directly, I yeah. And like people are not like scared of, before that was, it was weird. It was like, why would I do that? You know? um, but it's shaved so, so many years off of the adoption of buying food online directly. So that has been super beneficial, I would say. It's also made us focus our resources differently Whereas before, because Pepsi and Diamond, I was, it was all retail, like, you know, Walmart was our biggest customer. It was, you live and die by that. And now 80% of our business is direct to consumer. So we've built more resources on the D to C side. And we're actually like flipping that a little bit now because we just got into Whole Foods and because we're launching into major retailers this year. I'm having to almost like relearn the retail side, which by the way, for anyone listening is the wild, wild west. It's crazy. Crazy. And I respect people who have built retail businesses so much because D to C to me, I'm like, this is a piece of cake. Like you just like throw some money on it. I mean, not as simple as that. Like you throw some money on ads and like you, you have a direct, if anything, if anything happens or if a product messes up or whatever, you have a direct line to the consumer. And you can make it right, right? Whereas you have all this data, you have all this analytics you can play with and figure out like who your consumer is and how they're repeating and all of that fun stuff on direct-to-consumer. On retail, it's, you know, I'm starting to learn that again. So I just hired a director of retail sales who um, is excellent. So he was at, you know, Collie Power. He was at Haynes Lesshield. So he's a lot of experience in that space. Shifting gears to that now that people are, they're still buying online, but they also now are shopping more and more in stores again. So almost like shifting the mindset of like, okay, before we were 80% D2C, 20% retail. Now we'll be more like a 50-50 retail T2C. And then, you know, it will soon because retail is just so massive and like where a lot of the shopping is done, it will shift more to retail. And then we'll have to kind of build the team differently. So our team has been, I mean, like Patrick, our director of marketing has been direct to consumers entire career and is now learning like oh, has to retail partnerships. And so he was just on the phone with me and the fresh markets. This is a big, big market in on the East Coast. And he's like, this is so crazy. Like, this is like, like they're still doing magazines and they're still doing 
Yeah. And, um, they, it's wild. Yeah. And like things that you thought were like outdated, it's like, no, it's not. Yeah. In, in that world. And so, yeah, we're, we're having to, to learn all of it. And it's almost like running two separate businesses, but I think, I think it's fun because I think it's, you get to kind of use a different part of your brain and it's a lot more people and relationship oriented on the retail side and a lot more just like, I don't know. I feel like there's more interpersonal things that happen versus on direct to consumer. Yeah, definitely. So let's get into the product a little bit because we kind of skipped over that. Yeah. Talk about some of your guardrails around ingredients and really there's like key differentiators for someone who doesn't know who's new to it. Yeah. Ingredients are wildly important to us. And during COVID, again, it's been, or I guess just the supply chain lately, it's been crazy sourcing these ingredients. Chocolate's um, been very hard. I don't know if you've experienced that. So hard. Yeah. Huh. Oat flour for us is our is will kill me. I will I dream about oat flour. <laughs> yeah. oats did not have a good crop year. <laughs> no, they didn't. I know, like the normal person wouldn't know that. So when we're out of stock, we were out of stock in February of half our flavors, and it was because of the oat flour shortage. But like, it's hard to explain that to like an average consumer. So I will say our our biggest tentpole kind of value propositions of our our product are. We remove the bad stuff and we add in good stuff. So it's the absence of negative and the presence of positives. So what I mean by that is, you know, your average cookie dough has refined sugar, it has preservatives, it has animal byproducts, it has a ton of stuff in there, palm oil, usually things that you don't want in your food products. And then we've taken all that out. So we don't use any refined sugar. We don't use preservatives. We don't use um, any animal byproducts. Everything's vegan and gluten-free. And then we've added in good for you ingredients, whether that's flaxseed, our functional ingredients, which each different flavor has a function. So our chocolate chip skew is, is our hero skew because it was our first one we created and that has immunity ingredients. So it has zinc and elderberry in there, essentially everything we were looking for during COVID and, and kind of from my story kind of relates back to all the different supplements that I was taking. And so being able to create a product that almost tastes like junk food, but is not junk food was the goal. I think growing up in Texas and now being in Los Angeles, I have a very interesting experience because in LA, people will eat things that taste like cardboard because they're trying to be healthy. In Texas, people won't. Like my, my friends and family in Texas, especially my sisters, I have two older sisters who are always the best judge. I'll send them product before we launch it. And I'm like, what do you think of this taste? Because they will be honest. Like they, they don't, they aren't exposed to what I'm exposed to here in Los Angeles of like everyone eating kale salads every day. And so they will be really good judges of what, what tastes delicious and they'll tell me. And so having that kind of, it's going to be healthy and we're going to make it good for you, but it's going to taste like it's bad for you is almost the, the best, I would say, intersection for us. Yeah. I mean, at this stage, I feel like you have to make food that tastes delicious. Like yeah. You know, years ago it was different, but yeah. Hey. People were, so people were willing to eat kind of like cardboard tasting. Like, like people were just like, okay, eating baked plates. Right. Like, this were disgusting. I mean, at the time you felt like good about it, I guess, yeah. but they were not. Yeah. Well, you were feeding into probably, you were feeding into, I think, the diet culture aspect, which is, right. it's interesting because we have a lot of our brand and our product kind of overlaps here where. We don't talk about calories. We talk about eating whole ingredients. We talk about everything on our label. You, it has, you have to be able to pronounce it. And that matters to us more than calorie count. And I think that's that's a shift from when we grew up, right? Because like all you cared about back then was calories. And it was like, how do I 
get skinnier and lose weight. And, and like, that is completely out of our, our, we don't, we don't use that in our marketing at all. And it's not about that anymore. It's about feeling good about what you're putting in your body. So yeah, it's just, it's an interesting shift of, you know, I'm not going to eat the baked lays because just because it's, you know, a hundred calories, like I'm going to eat actually fun fact, regular lays are better for you because they're made of three ingredients, oil, salt, and potatoes versus for a baked lay still around. You're still around. Oh. Yeah. It's, there's a consumer for it. Like there's a, there's, I think there's a consumer for a lot of things, but you know, our, our, our proposition, which is similar to kind of purely Elizabeth is, is eat the, eat the whole ingredients, you know? Yeah, totally. So as you have scaled over the last, how long has it been? Two years? Two. Yeah. I guess it's been two years. Two and yeah, a half. Almost a year and a half. Yeah. Wild. So what is, what are you, I guess, most excited for in the coming years and most nervous for, or yeah, somewhere uh, in between those? Well, the it's probably the same thing for both of those. I am obsessed with new product launches. And that was always the exciting thing to me, even when I was at, at Frito-Lay is like, what's the next thing? And you guys have done, done such a great job in, in, almost like having your core and then creating products that almost become your core. And that's, that's what's a little nerve wracking though, is like you can do these line extensions and sometimes they don't work. And then you have to make the decision of like, do you kill the babies? Do you try to market them more because you think they're great products? But it is also the most fun part of it because it's like, what are we going to ideate next? And what are we going to create next? So I think being cookie dough being our, our base. And then we've just launched recently our drip product, which is our healthy Nutella product that, and we'll, we'll launch two more flavors of drip. So like those have become our core, but as we get into snacks more, I just get nervous because we have all these great ideas and I'm like, I hope the consumer wants this too. So that, that is the most exciting and the most kind of nerve wracking part of, of the next couple of years is hoping and, you know, doing enough testing too, because it's on us to ask the consumers what they want, but doing enough testing to, to make sure that the new product launches we have really work and that the line extensions make sense for the brand. And we have kind of a right to win in, in those spaces versus launching something completely out of left field where it's like, why is dough launching that? They're getting into frozen meals. <laughs> yeah. Like why? Um, even though there does need to be some innovation yeah. frozen meals. So someone please do it. <laughs> No, I, I totally get that. And I think for me, I think it's just like in business, you know, you're going to have some failures. And yeah. so being okay with like, yeah, we're going to try this. And if it doesn't work, then we'll get rid of it and on to the next thing. Hopefully yeah. it's right. But yeah, it all won't work out. Yeah. Well, and do you all test that in, in retail more or do you test it on D to C more of like, okay, how do we know when it, when we should kill our babies. I mean, for so long, honestly, we had no process around innovation. It was just like, hey, I came up with this idea and sent it to Whole Foods. They accepted it and let's go. And now we've become much more disciplined around it. And we at this point are still using retail to test because we haven't put as much emphasis on D2C. So we don't really have the platform to be able to do so. But I think being able to have both because it, they can tell you different things yeah. at the end of the day. I think. Yeah, even for us, our our cookie dough did super well on C2C initially. And the first time it went into retail, it went into Air One and I saw it on shelf and I was like, you can't read a damn thing right. on that package. I was like, why is all the font so small? <laughs> and like, you, don't, you don't notice it. And like, I should have absolutely gone to a store, put the printed label it out. Yeah. And yeah, printed it out and put it there and 
and stood six feet away and and tried to see like can can I read it and so I had this panic attack. I was like we have to redo all of our labels so we did it pretty quickly and it ended up doing well in retail but you're so right they tell you different things and you almost have um it's it's almost more difficult to communicate something just on a package versus having a full website to be able to do it so um yeah it's a different definitely different problem to solve so other question as you think about scaling over the last two years because a you've had the impact of scaling business quickly but then also obviously being in this crazy world that we're in how have you navigated just from a personal perspective in your own wellness staying not balanced necessarily, but just fitting all the things into your life. Yeah. Tips and um, share. That's funny because when I first met you at Expo East, I was probably at one of my most overwhelmed moments <laughs> um, that I've had so far. So it's been, I will say the first year I was really going on a path to burnout. Like I was, and you, you probably relate to this too, right? Of like, you're doing everything to survive and even now, like I'm, I, I find myself sometimes in this like fight or flight mode of even though we're doing okay, like we're doing well, there will still be moments where I'm like, feel like I'm fighting for my life. And so it is, it's, it is difficult when it is your whole life because your, your work starts to blend into your social life and starts to blend into your marriage and it starts to blend into friendships and, and like, it is, it is fully all consuming if you let it be. And I did the first, I mean, I'd say maybe the first year and a half, I love it. Just more recently, I have been able to almost like set those boundaries that have allowed me to, to pull apart from it. It is hard though, because I know doing the press or the podcasts or like chatting with people, like people want to talk to the founder and it is really beneficial. So for me to just turn that off, it, it's that's never going to be the case. But a couple of things that I've been doing is, I went, I used to meditate a ton before I started Doe and I've gone back to that. And before it's really hard because I have a team on, uh, part of my team members are on the East coast. So I wake up to probably like a hundred emails <laughs> on the on Pacific time. So I want to check my phone right away just to see if there's anything, but I've consciously said, I'm not checking my phone. I'm doing Headspace for at least five to 10 minutes every single morning. So I do that. I read a page out of my book about stoicism that I'm trying to, it's called da The Daily Stoic. And I, I read I, I so good. That. Okay. <laughs> um, I know now I've like, I've gone through it uh, like fully, but I still read it because it's, it helps you manage that roller coaster of emotions. And it helps you almost think like, you're not going to die. Like I need to like tell myself that. Right. And like, that is what, what it helps me with truly. And so read a page out of that book. So I have my, it's a mini morning routine. It's not like I do it for an hour, but before I touch my phone, I do those things. And that's been helping a lot with my sanity in the morning. And I find I used to have my first year and a half, I used to wake up with anxiety. Like I would wake up in like a panic of like something's gonna go wrong or someone needs me. And now by doing that in the morning, I don't wake up in that panic anymore. So that's been, I would say like a step towards, towards good mental health and, and wellness. And then on the, I would say that the eating side, I think when you're so busy, you tend to resort to like, I resort to bars <laughs> or cookie dough. Honestly, I would eat cookie dough or I would eat, I would eat literally like two bars a day. And so I'm trying to, to take that because it really takes five minutes to prepare something, right? Like if you, if you make it easy on yourself, like I can make an, like a breakfast taco or like eggs for lunch or like, you know, a, a salad that like I have half prepared already, like 
you can do that pretty quickly. So taking the time to just eat well and, you know, take my greens and, and make sure I have that energy has been really important. So that's how I would say like on the mental health side and then on the physical health side of just trying to, trying to eat a little bit better, even though things are crazy and trying to walk, take a walking meeting every day and try to move a little bit. I love the taking a walk thing. Cause I think it's so easy just to sit at your desk. It over. Yeah. <laughs> Any tips? I'm curious to hear as you are so busy in this stage on like time management or emails, just how you kind of organize yourself. So I think I'm at the interesting stage of, I was a player in the game. I'm going to use a sports analogy, even though I hate, I don't want to. I don't I don't I was a player in the game and then I became the captain when I got like a little bit of a team, right? So I'm like the captain, I'm still playing, but you know, right now I I need everyone to kind of like pull their weight. And now I'm starting to transition a little bit between like a captain and a coach of you don't necessarily need to always be playing the game. Um, And I think that is something that's hard for me because it is my baby and I do want, you know, my hands and everything. And I do want the copy to be perfect. And, you know, like the way people speak about the brand or the photography, like if there's an edit, like the shadow that I don't like, or, you know, these like minute things that are so detailed, but when it's your own baby, you get it. It's hard to kind of pull away. So that's what I've been working on for saving. It, it honestly saves me so much time, right? To not be in the weeds on everything. And even I'm I'm going out of office Thursday and Friday of this week. And I, I asked of my team, which they were super receptive of, is spare my inbox. So if there's things that I don't need to be on CC on, you can own it. Like if I need to be on the approval or you need to shoot me a text for approval, shoot me a text, but like call the shots, like y'all can do it. And I trust your decisions. And if we make a mistake, then we make a mistake and we'll go fix it. And so I think trusting the team and and building the team around you where you can offload things to them and they can own it and they feel empowered because they get decision-making power. But I don't feel like I have to be in the weeds every day it has been kind of like the saving grace of, of my time management. So as you think about this next phase, what is coming next? I know you said you have some new flavors of drip and mm. maybe some new categories. Anything else that we should know about? Yeah. So we're launching, we're ramping up retail quite a bit. So we're launching in the fresh markets in early May. Thank you. That's what I call like a bougie East Coast, (laughs) but specialty retailer. Um, They're really great to work with and they've got uh, awesome, awesome products. And then we are launching in another major retailer, which I won't say yet, but it'll be in June. So just follow us on social media. We'll have some fun social around it. And then, yeah, a ton of new flavor. So we've got almost a new flavor launch like every month that we're doing. So the next one is cinnamon roll and it is to die for. It's so good. It's like a snickerdoodle, but we have white chocolate chips in it. So when you bake it, it like melts into it. And we're positioning it as a breakfast cookie. So it's like, why not eat cookies for breakfast? And then the one after that is actually an interesting one because we made a mistake in our production process and we used an ingredient that we shouldn't have used but it turned out to make a really good product. And I didn't want to throw out, it's like 7,000 jars of product. That's a lot of product, $700,000 of revenue. So I was like, I don't want to throw that out. Can we use this somehow? So we actually are going to launch it. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how everyone receives it. Cause it's, we're, we're calling it like an oopsie flavor or like an accidental flavor. I love that. 
Um, I know I'm like, I'm like trying to spin it with marketing. <laughs> so I'm like, let's see if people react. I think TikTok will like the story because they like to see the behind the scenes. So yeah, that one will be coming too in May. That's so fun. All right. So on to some rapid fire Q&A. Okay. If you could have a jar of dough with anybody dead or alive, who would it be? Ooh, right now, maybe Kim Kardashian. <laughs> maybe it's because Amanda. We're like a step away from her. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because Amanda has been interviewing her, and I'm, she's like in my head, and I listened to the podcast this morning. So yeah, Kim would be Kim would be interesting. She's a, she's just like a really, I mean, as people can say what they want to say, but she's a really good businesswoman. Oh, so incredible. Learning how she's built those businesses that's pretty fascinating to me. Three random things that you're currently loving. Ooh, I love, oh my gosh, the Summer Fridays face oil is so, I was breaking out like crazy during COVID, probably because the mask and all that, that saved my face. So that Bridgerton, which I don't know if you, I'm not caught up yet, but I love that there's South Asian representation. So that's near and dear to my heart. I love that. And then there's this greens juice called Bloom Supplements. And it's by a friend of mine. She's an influencer named Mari. Everyone should follow her. She's amazing. But she's gone on her whole, her own kind of health and wellness journey. And it's these similar to Athletic Greens, if you've heard of that, but it's packs in all of your greens. It's for bloat, digestion, and immunity. And you just put it in eight ounces of water and, or you can put it in a smoothie and it actually tastes really good. It tastes like coconut. So it tastes delicious. And I have it in the mornings now. And it kind of like helps me, especially if I've had like sushi and wine the night before. It helps me with my digestion and, and kind of bloating. Oh, I'll have to check that out. What do you want more of in your life? Oh, I want more, I would say like inner peace, just like being satisfied with, um, I think when you're an entrepreneur, you're always thinking about the next thing. Like, it's like, great, we won here, but let's go. What's the next thing we're going to do? So just being satisfied in the present moment would be something it's something I'm working on. What do you want less of? I feel like there's this almost negativity on social media that happens sometimes. And it's like a little bit of cancel culture. And I think I think people just coming from a positive place and, and realizing where people are coming from, a little less of that. A meal that you'll never forget. Ooh. We were in, my husband and I were in South Africa. We were like 26 years old and we had all these points saved up because we were both consultants. So we like went on the whole trip and on points and there was this meal on a safari that we went on that was the most like authentic, delicious and like from the earth meal. Like, you know, that they literally grew it right there and like they were serving it for dinner. And so that was just like everything about it. It was like there was fires going, there's like music. It was not just the food. It was also kind of the ambiance and where we were and just being in nature. And it was, it was kind of like cooler because it was at night. It was, that was epic. That sounds amazing. What's your favorite dough moment? Oh, my favorite moment. I would say, I know Shark Tank was a double-edged sword. So I don't know if that's my favorite moment. <laughs> I feel like that was like my favorite moment, my least favorite moment. I would say maybe the, um, our New York Times article was really cool. I think like that was seeing the physical, like, again, I grew up on old school advertising and marketing. So seeing like a physical paper talking about the business and me was, was kind of surreal. And, and something that, you know, my, my mom kind of still doesn't understand what I do. So <laughs> being able to like her to see it and she's like, oh, okay. Like I get it. <laughs> no, a friend. Yeah, exactly. She can like clip it and she like sent it to all her friends. Um, so I think that was, that was pretty validating. 
And lastly, what's your number one non-negotiable to thrive on your wellness journey? Mm, sleep. I am a, if I get less than like seven hours of sleep, I am, I just suck at everything. I can't have conversations. I can't pitch. I can't answer emails. I'm just like in a dead hole. So I try to get like between eight and eight and a half every night. I'm right there with you. Sabina, so in closing, anything we haven't talked about? And also I know we have a fun discount code for everybody too. We do, yeah. Our discount code, I just looked it up. It's purely for 20% off. So yes, go use it. If you like Purely Elizabeth products, I guarantee you, you will like dough. Absolutely. They're delicious. <laughs> and where can everybody find you? Um, find us at Eat Dough, E-A-T-D-E-U-X on both Instagram and on TikTok. Wonderful. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks. Thanks so much for joining me on Live Purely with Elizabeth. I hope you feel inspired to thrive on your wellness journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review. You can follow us on Instagram at purely underscore Elizabeth to catch up on all the latest. See you next Wednesday on the podcast.